lifted me all together now. I was sinking deep in sand, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now say, am I love lifted me? Let's turn around and shake hands and fellowship one with another. Let our visitors know how glad we are to have
Good to have all of you with us. Good to have Bill and Cindy Murdoch home with us. And enjoy to see them here. Bill got out of the gutter business, and he's recovering from his fall. But good to see them here tonight. Always a joy to have them home. For you that are new, Bill and Cindy have been a member of our church for a number of years, served the Lord in Costa Rica, are serving the Lord in Costa Rica for a number of years. And, and they're cherished folks here at Temple Baptist. Good to have them in. And others that are visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. Let's pray down and ask the Lord to bless our time uh, tonight. The services, remember the Awana next door. Let's remember the youth and their midweek service. And, of course, our Bible study in here tonight. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for all that you've done and for all you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for your love that reached down and picked us up out of the gutter of sin one day. We thank you for that. Now, Father, help us tonight to worship you as a result of what you have done. Open our hearts, our minds. Let us learn from your word tonight. May we grow through your word, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to sing. Amen. Oh, how I love Jesus. Now, we know about his love to us. Now, let's sing about the love to him. You may be seated. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. Your giving on Wednesday night goes to support our Bible conference in the fall. And so I encourage you to give. And uh, it's amazing how if everybody gives just a few dollars each week, how it uh, goes to meet our needs. And uh, you have the envelopes in the pews there. You notice we got our, got the, we've made the envelopes a little bigger. That's for you to put more money in. Amen. Uh, but uh, really, it's, you have a place on there to mark about every offering that we take around here, and that's what it was designed for. So you see there where it says Bible Conference, that's your Wednesday night giving. Mark that, put the amount in there. If it's your tithe and offerings, just mark that. Whatever uh, your giving is for, we've provided an envelope there where you have a place to check each one of them. So encourage you to give tonight. There'll be no visitation tomorrow night due to everyone's schedule, and so mark that and remember that, and then we'll get back in on schedule the following week. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to bless our giving tonight. Father, thank you now.
for the privilege of giving to you. Thank you for why we give tonight and for what a blessing the conference has been to us. And even though we're months and months away, we ask you, Lord, to, to provide every need. And we know that each week's giving is a part of the process whereby you meet our need each fall. So thank you, Lord, for those that give tonight. Bless them for their giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and our strength. He's a very present help in time of trouble. I'm so glad tonight that we know that our God is near. Not that one. Singing off the pedal, baby. God is near when the storms of life are raging. God is near when you feel you can't go on. God darkness no hope could I find till I reached out to Jesus and placed his hand in mine he said my child I am near you I've been here all the time in every situation you can find sweet peace of mind Cause I am near when the storms of life are raging. I am near when you feel you can't go on. I am near. 
control of your life. For God is near when the storms of life are raging. God is near when you feel you can't go on. God is near when the lights of hope are fading. Have no fear, for God is near. God is near when the storms of life are raging. God is near when you feel you can't go on. God is near when the of hope are fading. Be not afraid, have no fear, for God is near. Be not afraid, have no fear, for God is near. God is near, God is near. You fellas wrote that, didn't you? I thought they did. That's good. I like that. That was the uh, backstreet version of Justified. Amen. Take your Bible to James chapter 2, if you would, and we continue our study tonight from uh, James, and we pick up where we left off last week, and we'll begin looking at verse 14 and following. I want you to stand as we honor the reading of His Word. James 2, verse 14 through verse 26. And let's think tonight on Don't Tell Me, Show me. Don't tell me, but show me. Look at James 2, and let's begin in verse 14. The Bible says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? 
Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, or saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray and let's look at this fascinating passage of Scripture, a wonderful passage tonight. So let's ask the Spirit of God to help us to learn from His Word tonight. Our Father, we do thank You that You are near. You're near to us, Lord, in the difficult times of life. You're near to us, Lord, when we go through the storms of life. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Father, Your Word assures us that You always are with us. We thank You, Lord, that You're with us tonight. You're with us through Your Word. You're with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. You're with us right now in this service, and we thank You for it. And so for that reason, Lord, we ask You now that You would take Your Word, Your written Word, and make it real to our hearts tonight. We need a mind to be able to comprehend and then, Lord, the truth that we comprehend, we need a heart that is willing to accept what you help us to understand. So we ask you now to take your word and work your word into our hearts and lives, and we'll thank you and praise you for it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things, amen. I once heard someone say that salvation is like the measles. If you have it, it's going to pop out on you. There's no way to avoid it. If you've ever been saved, then somewhere in your life, somehow it's going to be evident in your life. If I may put it this way, in the verses before is in James 2, verse 14 through 26, James is talking about salvation popping out on the believer. James is describing a salvation that is manifested in our life through our works. As we look at the text tonight, we'll see that James speaks of a real faith and he speaks of a revealed faith. He also speaks of a false faith and a fruitless faith. He speaks of the difference between a profession and a possession. He speaks of one that says he has faith and he speaks of one that shows that he has faith. You see, the subject of verses 14 through 26 is the matter of faith and works. In these 13 verses, 13 times, James talks about faith and works. So tonight as we look at this passage, we'll see that the text, we'll see what the absence of works indicates and what the presence of works illustrates in our life. 
It's a very interesting passage. It is a section of, pas or section of Scripture that has often been misunderstood. I guess if there's any one passage in the Bible that has often been misinterpreted, it is James chapter 2. I think of the great reformer Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the great reformer, rejected the book of James, calling it a right straw epistle because of the section that we're looking at tonight. You see, Luther, the great promoter of salvation by faith and faith alone, felt that the section before us in James chapter 2 was teaching us that man is saved by faith and works, that he must believe and work in order to be saved. Now, I do not consider myself to be in, in, in a class anywhere near Martin Luther. And I feel very inadequate to criticize anything that he said or believed. But Luther simply didn't miss, he simply misunderstood what James is saying. In fact, when you look at the teachings of Luther, you'll find that he believed and taught the very thing that James is teaching in James 2. I quote Luther. He said, Yea, it is impossible to separate works from faith as impossible to separate burning and shining from fire. You see, Martin Luther did not believe that works could save a man, but he did believe there would be works in the life of a saved person. And that is exactly what James is talking about in James 2. You see, James is not saying that works is the path and prerequisite to salvation, but he is saying that it is rather the proof and the product of salvation. To put it another way, if a person is saved like the measles, it's going to pop out in their life. So saying all that, I want us to look at the text tonight, and I want you to consider with me three things. You have your little brochure, follow with me, write, fill in the blanks in your brochure to help you to remember what we look at tonight. The first thing that I want you to notice is this. I want you to notice a faith that is professed without works. Here is someone making a profession, but that profession is lacking works. A faith that is professed without works. You notice in verse 14, and in verse 14 there's a key word that is very important to understanding this particular section, and it is the little word say. Notice what he said in verse 14. What doth it profit my brethren, though a man say he hath faith? Underscore the word say there. A man say he hath faith and not works. Can faith save him? Now, James is describing someone that says they have faith. In other words, he's talking about someone that is professing to be saved. You have faith that is professed. Now, let me just say this, and then we'll move right on into the study tonight and into our text here. I want you to understand something at the very beginning, that there's a big difference in someone saying they are saved and actually being saved. Just because someone says they are saved doesn't necessarily mean they are saved. I think about it in our faith on Thursday nights. And of course, we're in between semesters right now. But we teach our faith learners and our faith leaders that to ask, a question, to ask this question, in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? And we most of the time, the majority of the time, usually the answer we get is what we call a works answer. We'll ask somebody, in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? And the majority of the time, somebody will say, well, just doing the best you can. 
or living the best you can. Or if you do this and you're good to everybody else and you treat your fellow man the same way, then God will let you in heaven. That is what we call a works answer. And by that we simply mean that they are saying and believing that they think that how they live and what they do is going to get them to heaven. Now, if we'd asked that individual if they were saved, if we said to them, are you saved? I'm sure most of them, not all of them, would have said, yes, I am saved. But yet, what the Bible teaches us, that a man is not saved based on what he does. A man is saved based on what Christ has done. Now, they may think they're going to heaven because of how they live, but if you were to ask them if they were saved, they'd say yes, but the Bible says otherwise. George Barner in one of his surveys found that most Americans believe that salvation is an outcome to be earned through their good character or their behavior. He found that 6 out of 10 people, 57% believe if a person is generally good or does enough good things for others during their lives, they will earn a place in heaven. However, the Bible said in Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you were to ask the majority of Americans or 57% of Americans that believe that being good and doing good will earn them a place in heaven, if they are saved, they would no doubt answer yes. But yet the Bible says otherwise. And I say all that to say this, that just because someone says they are saved does not necessarily mean they are saved. Just saying or professing to be saved doesn't guarantee that that individual is saved. You can sleep in a garage if you want to, but that does not make you a car. Just saying that you are saved does not mean that you are. And that's the case in James chapter 2 and verse 14. Here is an individual that says he has faith. Here is an individual that says he is saved, but yet, as we'll see, this is an individual that is not saved. As you look at the verse in verse 14 more carefully, he says he has faith, but what is absent is works in his life. Look at it again. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Here's a profession of faith. Here's a man that says he is saved, but there is an absence of work on, works on the part of this one that is professing to have faith. And when you look at what James has to say, James says that the absence of works in his life is a very revealing thing in his life. Here's somebody that says, I have faith, but there is no works. And James says the absence of works in that person's life reveals certain things about that person. Look at them. For one thing, we see that it reveals the truth of one's profession. Now, a person may say he is faith, has faith, but if there is no works, then it's very revealing. It reveals the truth of one's profession. Look at verse 14 again. You'll notice there that there are basically, there are actually two questions that are being asked. The first question is, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? That's question number one. Question number two in verse 14 is, can faith save him? A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, said that both of these questions, that the answer is, the answer, the expected answer is a negative one. 
In other words, that the grammatical form of the question calls for a negative answer. For example, the first question is, is there any profit to faith that has no works? That's basically what the question says. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? The expected answer is nothing. What profit is it if to faith with what profit is it if there is faith but no works? The, again, the answer would be nothing. The second question is, can faith save him? Now, in the Greek, there is a definite article, the definite article, that, that is put in the verse, which means, in other words, what James is saying is, can that kind of faith save him? Not a matter of faith alone saving him. James is saying, what, what profit is it? What value is it if you say you are saved, but there is no works? Nothing. Can that kind of faith save a man? And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Can that individual be saved? No. There's the expected answer to receive. Now follow me closely for a moment. James is not telling us that works saves a person. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying now. He's not saying that works produces salvation. He's not saying that work saves a person, but rather what he's saying is that the absence of works reveals that that person is not saved. He's not telling me that I must work to be saved, but he is telling me that if I claim to be saved and there is no works in my life, it is the evidence that my profession is not real. It's like John Calvin said, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. You see, if a person's been saved, there will be works in the life of that individual. And the absence of works, the absence of evidence, and the absence of any kind of spiritual fruit only reveals that an individual has never been saved. In other words, let me put it this way. If you've got the real thing, it's going to come out in your life. But if you don't have the real thing, there is going to be the absence of any kind of spiritual evidence. There will be no works. And the absence of works reveals that your profession is false. Verse 15 and 16, he gives an example of works. We read, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed in field, Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Now, James is describing a needy brother. And he approaches another professing Christian. And the illustration would seem to suggest that this individual has the ability to meet the need of the person that comes to him. He approaches him because he knows this individual can help him. He knows this individual has the means, he has the ability he has what he would, this he can meet the need of this individual. He comes to him, he says, I'm cold, I need a coat. He says, I am hungry and I need food. Can you help me get a coat? Can you give me some food? And what does the man say to him? He says, depart or to go in peace. And that phrase there, depart in peace or go in peace, would be the same thing as you or me saying to someone, let God take care of you. It'd be like someone coming to us. We have the ability to buy them a coat. We have the ability to give them groceries. And they come to us and say, can you help me? And I will look at them and say, let God take care of you. It's his business to take care of you. 
And he says to him, be you warmed and filled. And that phrase describes an even more different attitude. It would be the same thing as me or you or you or me saying, you take care of yourself. A man comes to someone and says, look, you're a Christian. You say you're a Christian. I need a coat. Will you get me a coat? I'm hungry. Will you get me food? And the fellow says, take care of yourself. Let God take care of yourself or take care of your own self. What you have is a man claiming to be a Christian, but he doesn't act or react as a Christian. You might say it's the illustration of a person that sits on a church pew on the average Baptist church on Sunday morning. He smiles from ear to ear, has that religious look on him, has that religious look about him. He claims to be saved. He has the ability in a case like this to meet needs in, his, in other individuals' life, but he does not meet those needs and he doesn't even care about the individual that has the need. The story reminds me of what John said in 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But whoso hath this world's goods, and listen, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. John said that if we do not have compassion, which is an evidence that something has happened in our heart, the love of God has been shed abroad in the heart of a believer. And as a result of the love of God being shed, a heart, shed abroad in our hearts, we're going to love someone else when they have needs. And James says if there is an absence of affection, if there is an absence of compassion, if there is that attitude, go your way, do your own thing, let God take care of you, take care of yourself. John says, how can the love of God dwell in a person like that? Or to put it another way, John says, the love of God does not dwell in that individual. Or to put it another way, James says, or John says, that person has never been saved. He's telling us that one of the evidences that a man has been saved is what he's just described. And James echoes the conclusion of John in James 2.17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. James says that kind of faith, a faith that is merely a profession, but it does not have works, is dead. He said it is useless. It's a case of faith being alone. Now listen to me. Faith alone will save a person. But faith that is alone reveals an unsaved person. Can I say it again? Are you listening to me tonight? Faith alone will save a person. But faith that is alone reveals an unsaved person. James says, look, you say you are saved, but there is no evidence you've been saved. He said, your faith is dead. It's alone. The absence of works reveals the truth of one's profession. But look at something else. Look down to verse 19. The absence of faith not only reveals the truth of one's profession, but it also reveals the type of one's profession. Look what he said in verse 19, and we'll come back to the verses preceding it. But I want you to see this. In verse 19 he said, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now, the Bible makes it very clear that the matter of being saved, that the matter of believing is a requisite for salvation, that you have to believe in order to be saved. 
John 3.36 said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You have to believe in order to be saved. I think about the question of Philippian jailer. We looked at this several Sundays ago. The question was, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer he was given, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believing is God's requirement for salvation. But however, the Bible talks about different kinds of believing. For example, James gives us one example. He tells us that the devils, and the word devils there is another word for demons. He tells us that the demons believe. He tells us there in verse 19 that the demons believe there is one God. Now that was the opening expression of the Jewish creed of faith. We believe there is one God. And James said even the devils believe there is a God. You see, friend, you won't find an atheist in hell and you won't find an atheist in the demons. Satan himself is not an atheist. The demons of hell, they all believe in God. They all have a fear of God. They all, they all believe who Jesus is. I think about when Jesus was confronted with the man of Gadara that was possessed with demons. You remember the story, Mark 5? When the demons saw him, they cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? They knew who Jesus was. They knew he wasn't just another man. They knew that he was the Son of God, of the Most High God. See, the demons have no doubt in the deity of Jesus Christ. They know there is one God. In fact, James says they believe and tremble. The word tremble there speaks of a high degree of terror. In fact, the Greeks use the word to describe one's hair standing on end. You talk about someone being scared, made my hair stand straight up. Well, that's the idea. They tremble, their hair stands on end. They believe and they're terrified of the Lord. But here's the point. They believe but they're not saved. Now, nobody here would argue with me tonight that the devil is saved. Nobody here would even suggest to me that the devil is saved or that demons are saved. Yet the Bible said they believe and they tremble, but they're not saved. Why? Because their belief is not, nothing more than an intellectual belief. They have given mental assent to the fact that there is one God and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but they have never accepted Him as Lord and have never accepted Him as Savior. They know that there is a God. They believe there is a God, but they haven't done anything about what they believe. Hey, listen to me tonight. See, one can believe there is one God and still be lost. You can believe everything the Bible has to say about God and still go to hell. You can believe everything this Bible says about Jesus Christ and still be unsaved. You can believe that Jesus Christ is everything he claimed himself to be and still die and go to hell. George Barna found in, in his surveys that 9 out of 10 adults, 93% in this country, believe that God exists. And atheists are a very small minority in this country. Rarely will you meet anybody that just doesn't believe in God. The majority of people in this country believe in God. And he also found that 9 out of 10 adults believe that Jesus is a real person and even 85% believe he was born of a virgin. Now you can believe in God, you can believe in Jesus and even believe that he was born of a virgin, but you can still die in your sins and go to hell. As James said, if you believe in God, you do well. 
You do well to believe in the virgin birth. You do well to believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection. But that ha there has to be more than intellectual faith. There has to be more than mental assent. There must be a personal acceptance of Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of believing about Him. It's not a matter of believing in Him. It is a matter of believing on Him. And there's a big difference. It's a matter of coming to Him and accepting Him as your Savior and putting your faith and trust in Him. My whole life, I've never, there's never been a time in my life I didn't believe in God. But it wasn't until April the 2nd, 1972 that I did more than believe in God. I believed on Him. I put my faith in Him. James says in verse 20, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? The word vain speaks of that which is foolish or defective. And James says, look, just believing there is a God, that's foolish. That is a defective kind of faith. It's not the kind of faith that saves. What is James saying? He's saying that the absence of works reveals the kind of faith that you have. You see, a man may say he is saved, but there's nothing in his life to show that then, friend, his faith is just an intellectual faith. It's just some kind of profession he's made. The absence of works reveals the truth of his profession. It reveals that he's not saved, and it reveals even more. It reveals that all he has done is believed in a God. He has not believed on a God. It is a defective. What James is saying is the absence of works in your life is a tattletale of your heart. A man that is saved is going to have something in his life. And you may come to this altar and kneel here and cry a bucket full of tears, but if it does not change your life, all you had was an experience. You didn't get born again. Because when a man is saved, it changes his life. Amen? The first thing James tells us, and we see, is a profession, faith that is professed without works. But notice second of all, not only do we see faith that is professed without works, but you see faith that is proven by works. Now, we've just said that the absence of faith revealed that a person was unsaved. Now we flip it around and see that works is the evidence that a person has been saved. See, in verse 18, we now reread. Uh, we've seen in verse 14 what one says. Now in verse 18, you see what one shows. Notice what he said in verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now, the key word in verse 14 was saying, but the key word in verse 18 is showing. Show me thy faith. In verse 18, we see what a person says versus what a person shows. Just like the absence of works is revealing, the presence of works is very revealing. Let me point out a couple of things. For one thing, I see that works are the evidence of our faith. Works are the evidence of our faith. James imagines in verse 18, someone saying, well, hey, buddy, you say you have faith, and I say that I have works with my faith. All right, you show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. Or to put it another way, he says, you show me the evidence of your faith without works, I'll show you the evidence of my faith 
through my works. See, the point that he's driving home is that works are the evidence of our faith. Now again, works cannot save us, but works is the evidence that we have been saved. Again, I put it, I put it, I said to emphasize it again. If you have really been saved, there will be something in your life that will show that you've been saved. Jesus said it, said it this way. Matthew 7, beginning verse 16. Listen carefully what Jesus said. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, then every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And how did he summarize what he was saying? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't get any plainer than that. Jesus said you can know a true believer by his fruits. A corrupt tree brings forth bad fruit. It can't bring forth good fruit. It can only bring forth bad fruit. But a good tree brings forth good fruit. And Jesus said not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, not everybody that says, I'm going to heaven, is going to heaven. He said, no, the evidence is revealed, the evidence reveals that they're saved. By their fruits ye shall know them. Now you listen to me carefully. Are you with me? If a person is saved, there is going to be something in their life that reflects what they have and who they know. One of the great effects of being saved is a change of... and it changes how they feel about things. I look at things totally different than before I got now than before I got saved. I think different than the way that I used to. That's why this whole world can't, can't understand why we believe what we believe. That's why this whole world can't understand why we feel the way we do about abortion. This whole world can't understand why we feel the way we do about the mess that our country's in and the divorcing of God from everything in public life. They can't understand these things because they don't think the way we do. But when a man is saved, his whole thinking changes. And when a man is saved, the way he feels about things changes. When a man is saved, his whole life changes. His whole being is changed. It's impossible for Jesus Christ to live in a man's life without it affecting how he lives. And James says one of the evidences that a man has truly been saved is it affects his life. Someone's put it this way, a fly is a fly because he flies. A flea is a flea because he flees. And a bee is a bee because he bees. A Christian is a Christian. Amen? A Christian is a Christian. His works proves that his faith is real. His work stands as the evidence that he's saved. Now, when I'm talking about works, he's not talking about uh, you singing in the choir or... You're a Sunday school teacher and you're serving in 20 different areas in the church. It just means there's something in your life that is different. You think about God. There's eternal things in your life. There's things that draw you to God, the house of God, the things of God. There's the evidence there. He said it reveals that works 
is the evidence of our faith. But look at something else interesting about verse 18. You notice carefully that he not only states that works is the evidence of our faith, but he also says that works is the exhibition of our faith. I notice carefully in verse 18 that it's not a matter of you or me showing God that we're saved. Notice what he says. Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Again, it's not a matter of showing God our faith. Because what James, because I don't have to show God anything. He knows everything. If I were to summarize all that James has said in our text in a single statement is this, that a man is justified before God by faith and faith alone. But a man is justified before men by faith and works. Again, I don't have to prove my faith to God. He knows whether or not my faith is real. However... I do have to prove my faith to those that are around me. How does anybody know that we're saved? Does people know we're saved just simply because we say so? Not at all. You know why people believe we're saved? You know why some will look at some individual and say, that's a saved man, that's a good Christian there. You know why they do that? Because of what they see in their life. The reason you may believe that I am saved I just, maybe the reason you just happen to believe I am a saved preacher, <laughs> saved man, most should be, but maybe you believe that is because hopefully you have seen over the course of these 15 plus years something in my life that is real. You've seen the way I live. You've seen the way that I have walked before you. How do I know that you're a Christian? Because of your life. I don't have to prove my anything to God. He knows it all, but it's a matter of showing you my faith and showing me our faith. It's what others see. It is the exhibition of our faith. I think about a pious Sunday school teacher that taught a little group of boys one day as a, a pious church member who had this ideal that he was uh, in line for a vacancy. If a vacancy ever come up in the Trinity, he would surely be a candidate. And he went into this class and teaching these boys and girls, and he walked in and he said, do you know why people call me a Christian? And one little boy popped up and said, because they don't know who you are. Well, that may be the case in many. May I say people know who we are because of our works. How we live speaks to the reality and the validity of our faith. I read about two country fellows that met on a back road one afternoon, and one of them had a possum hunting dog. And the other said, how much you take for that dog? He said, I don't know. I really want to sell it. Said, I'll buy it from him. I'll, I'll pay you right now for it. He said, I'll take $100 for it. And, the, and he said, that'd be great. He fell and reached into his uh, pocket, pulled out a checkbook, and wrote a check, hand fell, and fell. said, no, no, I don't want a check. He said, I'm not taking a check from you. He fell said, but the check's good. He said, I'm a trustee in the Methodist church. So the fellow went ahead and took the check, and he handed him the dog, and they went on their separate ways. A little while later, he's talking to a friend, and he, and, and he said, let me ask you something. What do you know about a Methodist trustee? What's a Methodist trustee? And the fellow said, I'm not sure, but I think it's something like being a deacon in the Baptist church. The fellow said, oh, shucks, there goes my dog. Well, sometimes, unfortunately, many Christians are hurt. The name of Christ is hurt by a poor testimony. But you listen to me tonight. If I understand what James says, 
most of the poor testimonies is simply a testimony. It's just simply revealing that that individual has nothing to start with. James is saying that a person that has the real thing, there's something in their life. Works is the evidence of their faith. It is the exhibition of their faith. It's how others see that we're saved. We're justified before God by our faith alone, but we're justified before men by our faith and our works. Amen? Look at the third and the final thing. Not only do you see a faith that is professed without works and a faith that is proved by works, but you see, thirdly, a faith that is perfected through works. Verse 21, it speaks about works perfecting our faith. Look at it. Verse 22, we read, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Now, what did he mean by faith being made perfect? By works. The word perfect speaks of that which is completed that which comes to fruition, a goal that is achieved. You see, James is not only describing works as the outcome of our faith, but he's also describing works as the outgrowth of our faith. Through our works, our faith reaches its intended goal. Through our works, our faith reaches its intended purpose. In other words, the ultimate purpose of a believer's life is a righteous life. That is a Christ-conformed life, a Christ-reflecting life. And works is that work in, God's, uh, in our life whereby we're brought to the place that our life is what God wants it to be. We reach that goal, and that goal is realized and reached in our life through works. Now, he gives us two examples in closing to explain it or to describe it. For one, you notice, first of all, he talks about Abraham the patriarch. And you find in these closing verses here, he talks about two incidents in the life of Abraham that are given. Let's look at them in reverse order. You notice the first one in verse 23. The Bible said, And the Scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, in verse 23, the illustration in Abraham's life, this incident in Abraham's life takes us, about the gen- takes us back to Genesis 15 and the moment when Abraham believed God. And the moment when he believed God and he was declared righteous before God. The word impute means to c- declare righteous, to impute righteousness, to declare you righteous on the behalf of someone else. And in Genesis 15, he believes God in faith, Faith alone, he is made righteous before God. It is his faith and his faith alone that results in righteousness being imputed unto his account. And you find his salvation, you might say, in Genesis 15. But the second incident he refers to is found in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? He takes us now several years down the road. Genesis 15, he jumps all the way over here to Genesis chapter 22. And you'll find him offering Isaac. Now think with me. Let me, get, let me put it this way and get this and listen to it carefully. When Abraham offered his son Isaac upon the altar, it was not the means of his justification. It was not the moment of his justification, but it was the mark of his justification. You have a man in Genesis 22 obeying God. 
And what you have in his obedience is but revealing that this is a man of faith, real faith. What is going on in Genesis 22 is but revealing that what happened back there in Genesis 15 was real. In Genesis 15, he believed in God and he was counted unto him for righteousness. Now he is justified by works. He's justified to me. He's justified to you. We look at Abraham and the conclusion is that man has the genuine thing. It proves to us that what he had was real. Genesis 15, he was saved and God began a work in his life. And the fruit of that work is being seen in Genesis 22. He has been brought to a place where he'd obey God no matter what. His works perfect his faith. Now, second of all, not only Abraham the patriarch, but the second illustration is Rahab the prostitute. We find in one a man and the other a woman. In Abraham, you have a Jew. In Rahab, you have a Gentile. Both of them, their faith is perfected in their works or made evident by their works. Look, verse 25. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? Two things are happening here. One, she's receiving the messengers. Two, she's sending them out. You might divide it this way. When she received the messengers and their message, that was an act of faith. She believed the message. She put her faith in the message. But when she hid them and protected them and sent out, that was but the outcome of her faith. She believed the message. That was the moment of her salvation. She hid the spies. That was the mark of her salvation. She believed she was saved. And she had works that revealed that what she had done was real. It was the outcome and the outgrowth of her faith. If I sum it all up, this is what, it, what James is saying to him. He said, don't tell me, you show me. Don't, don't just say you're saved, show me you're saved. Amen? Take your prayer sheet tonight, look at it. Let's remember these in prayer tonight. Our church of the week, our missionary of the week. We're going to come and pray for all of them in just a moment. Our missionary of the week is Andy and Tanya Barker serving with the Rock of Ages prison ministry. And uh, Andy uh, Barker was a member of the church that I pastored in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Rhonda always picks these out, and I appreciate her doing this. But Andy was a little bitty fella. I remember Andy, his dad worked in one of our buses, and uh, Andy, just a little bitty fella. Now he's serving the Lord. God is using him. We want to remember Andy and Tanya Barker tonight. And then our Church of the Week is Gethsemane Baptist Church in Marion, Virginia. Pastor Pat Gilbert. Brother Pat is always here in our Bible conference. Dear friend, precious serve the Lord. We want to remember him tonight. And then, of course, our hospitalist, Willie, is still uh, in rehab from her knee surgery. Carolyn Bokina is at the Murfreesboro, VA Hospital in Murfreesboro. And we'll be have to have surgery on her foot, I think. And then Catherine Smith at Memorial. This is Walter Housley's sister. And then Irma Whitfield, I believe she's at Memorial. Is that right? And she had to go in really. Parkridge? Parkridge, and they just simply put a string of antibiotics. You know, she's had this problem with her shoulder. And so she went in today to have that put in, and she'll be going home very shortly. So let's remember these. All of you will. Let's come together around the altar. Let's take these things to the Lord. And of course, let's continue to pray for the church, continue to lift up the needs of our church. We're still praying about property. 
still praying, Lord, lead us to know what to do and praying that it'll open up doors on different things. Been some uh, doors open up and we're pursuing those right now. I want to continue to pray for all these. Pray that God will lead us in our building plans and all the things going on. Pray that he'll touch our services on Sunday. Uh, everything that goes on here, let's just pray that he'll move and work in all of these things. So let's all pray. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, we come tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the evidence in our lives that tells us that we're saved. Our love for the things of God, our love for the house of God, our longing to serve you. All of these things, Lord, are but the evidence that our faith is much more than an intellectual faith, but it's a faith that is resting on what Christ has done. Father, we thank you for the Word and thank you for what it says to us and what it teaches us. We pray tonight for our missionary of the week. We lift Andy and Tanya up to you. Thank you for Andy. Thank you for calling him, saving him. Thank you for how you're using him in the prison ministry. What a delight it is to read his letters and of the scores of people that are saved in prisons all across this country. Thank you, Lord, for how you take a little fellow like him and raise him up and use him. Thank you for him. Bless him. Meet his need. Bless him as he goes from prison to prison sharing the gospel. And then we pray tonight, Brother Gilbert and Gethsemane Baptist Church in Marion, Virginia. Thank you, Brother Pat. Thank you for his faithfulness to you through the years. Bless him, Lord, and, and honor him and work in his heart, encourage his heart, and strengthen him. Bless him in a special way. Do a wonderful work there. Thank you for what you've done through him through the years. Prosper his work even greater. Make it grow, Lord, and may you see wonderful things happen. Bless him. He's a worthy servant of the Lord. And then for our folk in the hospital, we pray you touch them and meet their needs. And then, Lord, for this place, we lift it up to you that it be anointed of the Lord. And this be a place, Lord, where people can come and worship you. This would be a place, Lord, that people are attracted just, not just because of what we offer, but because of what we believe and where we stand. Lord, may people be drawn here because of your word and because of your spirit and because of your work. May this be a place, Lord, in which we work to win others to the Lord and we reach out to reach others for the Lord. Use us, Lord, to do even greater things. Thank you for this great year, for this phenomenal year we've experienced. Thank you for the growth. Thank you for the additions. Thank you for the uh, people that have been saved. Thank you so much for what you've done. Lord, we give you the praise for it. With none of the glory is due to us. We take no credit as long as your work. And we're thankful, Lord, you've been gracious to us. Now, Lord, keep us where you can continue to bless. We ask you, Lord, to provide every need that we have for our future goals and our future projects. You know, every need that we have and all that must happen in order for it to come to pass. But you are God. This is your work. We're your people. And where you guide, you provide. And I pray you're blessed now. Be with us on Sunday. Give us a great day. May the power of God be real, manifested in our services on the Lord's day. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Shake hands. Be sure and go by and see Bill and Cindy. Be back on Sunday. Bring somebody with you.